pray. Father, I need your help this morning, um, maybe more than on most. I feel weak. Not sure why that is entirely. I ask that you would strengthen me physically. I pray that you would give me a clear mind. I pray that you would help me to be a useful voice for this passage. I pray that I would proclaim the excellencies of Christ as we proclaim the excellencies of the Proverbs 31 woman. Lord, we need your help because we expect um, lives to change through the preaching of your word, and my word alone doesn't do that. Your word does, brought home by the power of the Holy Spirit. So please come and sustain me and sustain us. Open our eyes, open our ears, incline our hearts to the scriptures and satisfy us with what we see there. Help us to see wonderful things as we look into your word this morning. Grant us that help now. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, this morning. Proverbs chapter 31. If you'd like to follow along in one of the red Bibles that's in the seats, uh, the text is found on page 552 in the red Bibles, 552. As you turn there, I have a, a question for you. Where did Mother's Day come from? Anybody know? I did some fact checking this past week, and here's what I uncovered, learned a few things. Um, on one hand, the early roots of Mother's Day might go back to the, the Anglican Church, uh, the Church of England in the 17th century. Um, among other Lenten traditions, the Anglican worship cycle, the Anglican worship calendar contained uh, the fourth day of Advent, or sorry, excuse me, the fourth Sunday of Lent, which was known as Mothering Sunday. And it was essentially, for all purpose, our purposes, it was a Mother's Day uh, type Sunday where families gathered, uh, children came home to honor their moms, and meals and outings and parties and so on, um, not unlike we see today. That's kind of the British roots of it. And there have always been some Anglican and Episcopal worshipers here in this country that have celebrated Mothering Sunday, but that's probably not the main reason why we celebrate Mother's, today, uh, Mother's Day to, in America today. Uh, that reason has got to be uh, due to two women. One uh, was named Julia Ward Howe. She was the author of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, if that name means anything to you. A famous name, actually, in this country, the Howe family. Um, as early as 1870, Julia Ward Howe began to stir interest um, among women in this country who, who were mothers of sons that had served in the Civil War. And it was uh, to be a holiday devoted to mothers who um, had sent their sons off to war and in some ways gave their sons um, even their very lives for the, the cause of this country. And Julia Ward Howe is the one who kicked the door open for this holiday, but the one who really brought it to pass was a, was a woman who followed in her footsteps named Anna Jarvis. In 1907, Anna Jarvis celebrated uh, really her first Mother's Day, and she began to try to prevail upon the United States government to pass this as a local, uh, rather as a national observance. Um, it took seven years for it to happen. Um, but finally, in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson approved Mother's Day after, I suspect, being um, hounded by Miss Jarvis to make it a day recognized nationally. And I say that because she's an interesting woman. She was uh, a, a woman of intensity. 
Uh, she said, for example, that the apostrophe in Mother's Day had to be after the R and not after the S. She wanted to celebrate individual mothers, not sort of collectively mothers as some uh, large social category. This was an opportunity for every household to honor their very own mother. She was insistent on the possessive in that uh, mother's, mother's Day, that apostrophe S. Um, also, uh, she was an intense woman. Um, it only took about nine years or so for her to become very jaundiced about the whole, uh, what she saw to be the over-commercialization of Mother's Day. Uh, from about 1923 onward, she spent the rest of her days opposing what the holiday had become. Uh, it's interesting to note that uh, she actually felt like one clear sign of the deterioration of this holiday was the greeting card industry. Um, that actually an industry had to be created for this holiday because people were too lazy to write letters to mom. She felt as though to go and buy a greeting card was just the ultimate act of sloth, and, uh, and it bothered her. At one point, she was even arrested as she publicly protested the holiday that she created um, in the year 1948. Um, Ms. Jarvis speculated that without the floral and greeting card industries, that this holiday would have just gone the way of all the earth, like many other holidays uh, did at the time. And I suppose she's probably right. Well, one chapter of the Bible that has not faded into obscurity um, is the chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. It has been tagged as belonging to the type of Old Testament literature known as heroic poetry. I found that fascinating. This, type, this genre of literature is called heroic poetry. In ancient Israel and other Near Eastern cultures, it was commonplace uh, for poets to pay tribute to, to applaud the mighty deeds and exploits of cultural champions. Uh, so you have in the Old Testament the song of Deborah in Judges chapter 5. Or you have the women's songs of both Saul and David in 2 Samuel 18 and 21. Or you have a eulogy that David himself wrote of Saul and Jonathan in 2 Samuel 1. This is heroic poetry, but Proverbs 31 is the, is the greatest of the heroic poems in the Old Testament. And the hero, don't miss it, is the wise woman. But this section of Scripture isn't just heroic poetry, it's acrostic poetry. It's acrostic poetry. You know what an acrostic is, right? Uh, every successive verse of the line of poetry begins with another letter of the alphabet. And in this case, we're dealing with the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 lines in Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31, or 22 verses, rather, and each one is given a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It was done this way for artistic purpose. It was also done this way to speak of exhaustiveness. The idea was that this is going to honor women from A to Z, or as they would say it, from Aleph to Tav. Uh, one more thing to mention on the front end here is the source of this poem. This is something else I learned this week. I mean, as many times as you read the Bible, new things do appear. For example, chapter 31, verse 1, plainly tells us that what follows are the words of King Lemuel. Okay? The words of King Lemuel. But it also just as plainly affirms in the very next phrase that these words are an oracle that who taught him? His mother. Interesting. His mother. Now, perhaps that only extends to verse 9, 
But I wonder. Uh, Context would seem to indicate that the sketch of the Proverbs 31 woman was actually originally sketched by a woman, particularly by the mother of a king who wanted to see her son marry the right gal, the right kind of nobility. I think that's entirely possible. This chapter is unique, and it is tailor-made for Mother's Day. It's written by a mother, after all. Nearly unparalleled in all of the Bible is the portrait of the Proverbs 31 woman. Now, as we turn our attention to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, I don't want us to forget the woman of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. You know who that is? It's Hannah, a woman afflicted by infertility. A woman who prayed at Shiloh that the Lord would give her a baby boy. And she prayed and she prayed. And the Lord did answer her prayer. But some of you are there right now. And every year when this holiday comes around, it reminds you of your great prayer to be a mother. And this holiday accentuates your pain. Maybe you've miscarried. Maybe you've lost a child in infancy or childhood. I want you to know that I know that you're here, and we know that you're here, and that your pain is is valid, and it's very real. And I also want you to know that no matter what situation that you find yourself in, that God has a word to speak to you this morning. God's word is perfect, reviving the soul, the psalmist says. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, and they rejoice the heart. For even those among us today for whom this day can be a painful one, I want to invite you into the exploration of this chapter of Scripture. There is blessing here. I guarantee it. We're going to begin with the first of four stops on a whistle-stop tour of this extraordinary passage of the Bible. Let's begin with verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Proverbs 31 exists to remind us of, first, a wise woman's worth. A wise woman's worth. And this isn't working. Okay, go without it for now. Now they got my water. The first line of the poem is, an excellent wife, who can find? It implies, of course, that such women are in short supply. You know, when the Bible asks a question like this one, it's asking it rhetorically, of course. The obvious answer is, no one can find one, or almost no one can find one. Almost no one can find an excellent wife, because the truth is that many such women are here in this room this morning. But I wouldn't say that the women in this room, the caliber of women that are in this room, are necessarily representative of the West Tonka area. You're unique. You are wonderfully unusual. You're extraordinary. I've also rarely met a man who didn't marry up. You know what I mean? It's true. Most men marry out of their league. You get to know a couple a while... And you just start to think about the guy and you start to think about the gal and you just think, you know, not for nothing, but 
how did you ever get her? And if he's worth his salt, he knows it. He is lucky to have her. He says, along with the writer in verse 10, I know, she's far more precious than jewels. I'm, I'm out of my league here. Fathers of daughters know this especially. One of my favorite wedding stories is told by C.J. Mahaney. Uh, C.J., though, now he's the uh, internationally known leader of a a family of churches known as Sovereign Grace Ministries. C.J., at the time he was converted in the early 70s, was fresh out of the Jesus movement. He would have had hair down to here, and he was absolutely no bargain for the um, Mennonite girl that he was seeking to impress all these years ago. And he uh, somehow got this girl to accept his marriage proposal and as he's standing just before they're, you know, about to, uh, he's, he's about to, um, the family's about to break after a time of prayer before the, the wedding service, CJ looks at his soon-to-be father-in-law and he says, I want to thank you for trusting me with your daughter. And the soon-to-be father-in-law looked at CJ, grabbed him by the shoulders and looked him in the eye and said, just be clear on something, I don't trust you. I trust the Lord. And that was about as far as he realized he was going to get that morning. He said, great, and they headed down the aisle and they got married. (laughs) A wise woman is far more precious than jewels. Dads know this and husbands know this. The background of verse 10 probably points to the ancient Near Eastern custom of obtaining a um, a wife through the bride price. Um, So the idea here is that an excellent wife is worth any price in the world. She's far more precious than jewels. And if you're a woman who's with us this morning and you're seeking to follow Jesus with everything you've got in the context of your marriage, in the context of your singleness, on the authority of Scripture, you need to know how precious you are and how important you are. You are invaluable. That's what verse 10 says. You are irreplaceable. You are rare. Especially on this day, you need to be reminded of your significance. Proverbs 31 exists to remind us of a wise woman's worth. Second point today. Proverbs 31 exists to remind us of a wise woman's marriage. A wise woman's marriage. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Proverbs 31 exists to remind us of a wise woman's marriage. You know, in our hurry to um, catalog this woman's exploits, these are a couple of verses that we often just hurry past, and they're very important. They provide an important dynamic for this passage. Behind every successful wife there is or ought to be a faithful husband. Isn't that what verse 11 says? The heart of her husband trusts in her. That might not strike you as anything important, but it really is, actually, as you think about that phrase in the context of the way it's used in Holy Scripture. Old Testament commentator Bruce Waltke puts it this way. Outside of this text and Judges chapter 20, verse 36... Scripture condemns trust in anyone or anything apart from the Lord. Hear that. Scripture condemns trust in anyone or anything 
apart from the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Micah 7, 5, put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. These and many other texts of the Bible remind us not to put our trust in other people, ultimately. But this, of course, merely illustrates the point. This isn't just any person. This woman is trustworthy. And she's trustworthy because she herself trusts in the Lord. The fruit of his well-founded trust is found in verse 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. You know, some wives in the Bible are just bad. Can you think of some of them? Jezebel, Job's wife, either she was having a bad day or she was just rotten. Solomon's wives lead him astray. They're just bad news. Other wives are kind of a mixed bag. You know, some of them have their moments. Like there's Eve, sort of in the middle, maybe somewhere. Rachel, Rebecca, Michael. They're a mixed bag. This woman is not a mixed bag. It says that she does her husband good and not harm all the days of her life. In other words, it's as if she is taking her wedding vow seriously and consistently lives to have and to hold him from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others till death do them part. I think the placement of verse 12 after verse 11 is very deliberate. The husband extends trust to his wife. He communicates confidence and reliance upon her. And the result is what we read in verses 12 and following. When somebody believes in you, when they trust in you, it frees you. It motivates you. You've been given a trust, so you had better not waste it. Behind the Proverbs 31 woman is the Proverbs 31 husband, loving her, encouraging her, trusting her. More on this in a bit. But suffice it to say that Proverbs 31 exists to remind us of the Proverbs 31 marriage, the woman's marriage. Third point today. Proverbs 31 exists to remind us of a wise woman's work. Proverbs 31 exists to remind us of a wise woman's work. Now, verses, admittedly, 13 to 27, this is the main attraction. This is why we like to read this chapter of the Bible. If these verses weren't here, we would not be drawn to Proverbs 31 as we are, guaranteed. And there's more than we can look at here in these 15 verses than in the time that I've got to preach this morning. But if you would permit a few observations, we can maybe make a little bit of headway. Um, For instance, remember how we learned that wisdom is personified as a woman several weeks ago back in Proverbs chapter 9? It's really interesting as you look over this, uh, this set of verses here that you see Lady Wisdom's ghost appearing through much of this description. So much so that some people believe that the author here really isn't talking about a woman or wives at all. It's the continued metaphor of Lady Wisdom. In other words, the writers of Pro- the Proverbs are gathering up in one final statement 
all of the themes that we've seen throughout the book of Proverbs so far and presenting them in one last place. This is Lady Wisdom, one last time on display. Um, well, it's possible. It doesn't strike me as probable, given of what we know already about the, the context of this chapter and what's going on here. It's heroic poetry. It's probably instruction from a mother to a son. So people disagree on that. But one thing that people don't disagree on is the, the amount of dizzying activity of this woman. Now, follow along with me, and I'll read verses 13 to 27. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Oh, my. Her range of pursuits here is amazing. From homemaker to businesswoman, from trader to real estate owner, from gardener to work in textiles, her range of pursuits just leaves you breathless. She's the ultimate Renaissance woman. And if we would ever become dogmatic about what women's work is with reference to the family, we just need to be brought back to chapter 31 and just be chastened a little bit. This woman is doing just about everything. You wonder what the guy is doing. He's sitting at the gate with his buddies, right, being honored. It's unbelievable. Her interests were wide-ranging. Her skills were considerable. This woman did more work, more than work in the kitchen, although she definitely did that too. And she did it willingly. Look at verse 13. It says, willing hands. She loved being a wife. The Hebrew there could be translated glad palms, happy palms. It's great. She was happily employed in these areas. Another indication of her general attitude about things is found in verse 25. She laughs at the time to come. Her vision as she looks forward to the days ahead is clear and it's confident. As clear as a warrior facing sure victory. Remember, this is heroic poetry. She laughs like a warrior facing sure defeat of the enemy. She laughs at the time to come. So it's happy work, though hard work. Judging by verses 15 and 18, it would seem this woman doesn't log many hours of sleep either. She works late, she rises early. One author uh, puts it this way, she, she puts the well-being of her household before her own comfort. I think that's what's going on in these verses. Not that she never slept, 
It's just that she put the well-being of others before her own comfort. She would not let her family get the short end of the stick when it came to serving them. And then there are some fascinating juxtapositions that we need to note if we're going to see the remarkable balance that the author weaves here. For instance, look with me again at verses 19 and 20. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Now, the distaff, I mean, I couldn't even find that word in the dictionary. This is an old King Jimmy word. It's a holdover from 1611. Um, It's a doubling spindle that was used to make two-ply and three-ply threads and yarns. And you work this machine with both hands, and she's good at it. She's good at it enough to produce a lot of material, but she doesn't consume all the material just for the family. She, in in essence, with one hand working with the spindle and the other hand giving out the resources to those in need. The same hands that grasp the spindle in verse 19 are open to those in need by the time we get to verse 20. She's generous, and generosity is wise. Proverbs 27, 7 says that a righteous person knows the rights of the poor. She opens her hand to the poor, reaching out her hands to the needy. Another interesting juxtaposition here, admirable character quality that this woman exemplifies is the balance that she achieves between words on the one hand and deeds on the other. Words and deeds. This is noteworthy. Uh, Charles Bridges once said, clever, brisk, and managing minds are often deficient in softer graces. In other words, you, you begin to form a picture maybe in your mind of what this gal might have been like to have dinner with. Um, maybe pretty intense. Maybe pretty gruff quick to file her in the category of socially abrasive or prickly, but not so. Verse 26 says, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The word for teaching here is the Hebrew word Torah, and it's, it's the word for instruction or law. Um, Author Mary Beakey uh, wrote a wonderful book that I highly recommend to every woman here called The Law of Kindness. Um, Information about that book actually is on the backside of your sermon notes, but I goofed and it got cut off. That was the most important book to put on there, and I didn't write it down. Um, The Law of Kindness, but the information about the book is right at the top of your sheet there. Um, That book and many others will help you get at what this is talking about. Um, You can get the content of the Proverbs 31 woman right and wreck the whole thing by tone. And she has a balance that is admirable. We don't want to minimize the importance of this. Uh, Proverbs remind us frequently, some of the most amusing Proverbs that we have. Proverbs 21, 9 says, It's better to live in the corner of a housetop than with a quarrelsome wife. Right? Right? Or Proverbs 21, 19, it's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful wife. Proverbs 27, 15, and 16 says, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. I love this. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Sounds like he was speaking from experience. So, The Proverbs 31 woman is admirable on so many fronts. 
So women of Mount Free Church, I don't know which front the Lord is speaking to you on. That's a very difficult thing for a guy like me to know. But the Spirit knows the things of God. And as you hear this image of the Proverbs 31 woman um, in this text this morning, you want to consider what the Lord through his Spirit might be saying to you today. Maybe it's in the whole area of balance between family and work life. Maybe you're off kilter and you need to get the alignment a little closer. Maybe it's simply in your attitude toward these things. Content, off the good, tone is wrecking everything. Maybe it's that the Lord wants other people outside your family to benefit from the things your family benefits from all the time. Maybe there's a way to do compassion and mercy ministry in a creative way in this community or communities beyond this one that you haven't seen so far and other folks can benefit from your giftedness. Maybe it was just this last one. You know, you're working really hard being the Proverbs 31 woman, but you're just taking it out on everyone else, right? Um, You want to grow in your ability to open your mouth with wisdom so that the law of kindness is on your tongue. Well, the Proverbs 31 woman's an exceptional model. That's just the problem. It's, It's depressing sometimes to read this, isn't it? You read this, and you begin to get sized up. She is an exceptional model, but it's also frustrating. Our family was watching American Idol the other night, and Judge Randy Jackson uh, looked at one of the gals who was singing and began to criticize her because she didn't sound like Tina Turner. (laughs) I just thought, where's your standard? She's 16 years old. Tina's like 80. No amount of practice or maturity is going to make a 16-year-old on American Idol sound like Tina Turner right away. And no amount of practice or maturity, simply in the strength that we supply, is going to make us like the Proverbs 31 woman. I think that we just need to say that with this chapter of the Bible. Here's where we need the gospel. The fruit of the life of Proverbs 31, the fruit of this woman is all over this chapter. But let's not confuse the fruit with the root. The root of it all is found in verse 30. Above it all, or beneath it all, is the fear of the Lord. A woman who fears the Lord. This is a woman who bows her knees to the God of the universe. This is a woman who understands and embraces God's revelation of himself in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a woman who trusts not for a second in her own work for the Lord Jesus, but in his work for her that he did in his own life and suffering and death and resurrection. This woman's work relies upon her Savior's work. When that is the root of one's work, the fruit of Proverbs 31 can begin to grow. So Proverbs 31 does remind us, though, of a wise woman's work. But here's the final point. We want to end with this. That wise woman's work is only possible because of what the Savior has done for her. That's true. And this final point needs to be said as well. Proverbs 31 exists to remind us, lastly, of a wise woman's praise. A wise woman's praise. Follow along with me as I read verses 28 to the end of the chapter. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. 
Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. Proverbs 31 exists to remind us of a wise woman's worth, wise woman's marriage, wise woman's work, and lastly, a wise woman's praise. Just to be clear, the subject of the praise here is the woman herself. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. They stand to show their mother honor, and they articulate appreciation and approval of her publicly. Where they learn that kind of thing? From dad. He's in the same verse. Verse 28, her husband also, and he praises her. And verse 29 contains the content of the praise. Many women, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Husbands, when we are engaged in this kind of activity, we are right at the heart of what it means to be a husband. That's our namesake. That's what that word means. The word husband means a, a cultivator. And we are to be about the work of husbandry, cultivating and caring for our wives so that they grow. Pastor Ray Ortland writes, A husband cultivates his wife by setting a high tone of praise in their home. No put-downs, no fault-finding, no insults, not even neutral silence, but rather bright, positive, life-giving praise. Cultivate and nurture your wife. It's amazing how far even a little bit goes. And it's amazing how far most of us, short, how far most of us fall in this area. We could be so much more articulate with our praise than we are with our wives. And if this sounds foreign to the husbands in the room, I guarantee it sounds foreign to your wife. Along with me, redouble your efforts to be about verses 28 and 29 a wise woman's praise. Well, we might justifiably ask, which comes first? The extraordinary example of the Proverbs 31 woman or the praise from her family? And my guess at the end of the day is really neither. On the one hand, verse 30 says, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I mean, praise is due a woman who fears the Lord. Praise is due to a woman who orients herself around God and around his priorities. But on the other hand, the Bible simply teaches that women are to be praised, period, by virtue of their position in the home, both as wife and as mother. Honor is due a woman in the context of a family. Some women in this room today exemplify the lifestyle of the Proverbs 31 woman with very little support an affirmation from your family at home. God's word to you today is stay on course. Stay on track. Don't be deterred. Don't be distracted in your mission, your desire to serve him, to please the Lord. But isn't this chapter also a call from the Bible to men in this room? It's amazing how often the husband comes up in the Proverbs 31 woman here. Our wives are worthy of our praise. We just need to test ourselves. Which comes easier to us, critique or commendation? Which is easier for you as a husband, analyzing or approval? 
You may say, yeah, but I'm not married to the Proverbs 31 woman. Then you need to remember the gospel. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgives you. If you wish you were married to the Proverbs 31 woman, then cultivate her. Trust her. Praise her. Bless her verbally. Do it with your time. Do it with your attention, especially today, but more than today. Make today the beginning of a new season in your marriage or in your household or in your family. Proverbs 31 exists to remind us of a wise woman's praise, the praise that is due such a woman. Nearly unparalleled in all the Bible is the portrait of the Proverbs 31 woman. This chapter exists to remind us of this woman's worth, her marriage, her work, and the praise she is so rightly due. Next week, we're going to wrap up the series in our book, in our study of the book of Proverbs with, an, with a look at wisdom in the neighborhood. I've, I've written at the bottom of your notes there, wisdom for planning ahead, but we already did that. So, wisdom in the neighborhood. Um, this is going to be timely because we're going to look toward the summer months and how to be careful uh, missional thinkers in our own settings, to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ in this upcoming season of this church. But right now, let's pray. Father, how we thank you for the women in this room, married and single, young and old, those without children and those with children. Father, may each one present here lay hold of the grace that is theirs in Christ, his pardoning grace, his empowering grace. And Father, may men and children and families along with the family in Proverbs 31, rise up and call these women blessed, for they are. I pray, Father, that this church would be filled with the kind of encouragement that this Proverbs 31 woman receives, that we would cultivate uh, those that we have the privilege to uh, be a part of a family with in our own homes and be a part of a church family with here that we would be lavish with clear words of encouragement and appropriate praise where it is due so that we see the women in this church rise up to become all that you have created them to be for the sake of the mission of Jesus Christ, that he may be known and that he may be proclaimed. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.